0: Bud Light Seltzer's 5% alcohol, 100 calories, and it comes in four flavors. There's strawberry, lemon, lime, mango, and my go-to, black cherry. They're all super refreshing and perfect when I want something with a little more kick than just sparkling water. You know what I'm saying? Bud Light Seltzer, unquestionably good. Welcome to the Jillian Michaels Show. I know I've been teasing this show for practically a month now, and the response has been overwhelming I have received literally thousands of questions on Jillianmichaels.com, on my Facebook, on my Twitter for Dr. Katya Van Hurley. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this woman. Uh, She is an internist endocrinologist with an appointment as clinical faculty at the David Geffen University of California at Los Angeles School, UCLA School of Medicine. She also serves as co-founder and president of the All Greater Good Foundation in San Diego, California, which I'm going to let her talk about in just a minute. But I want you to know how I came to know Dr. Van Hurley, uh, and, and the... which I, She's sitting right here. I'm going to let... Hi, Dr. Van Hurley. Hey. <laughs> Hi, Jillian. Hi, everyone. How are you? So, um, I came to know Dr. Van Hurley because when we were shooting Losing It, I was looking for a show doctor. And uh, we, I mean, we looked... <laughs> High and low, high and low, and uh, met with so many different people. And when I finally met Dr. V, uh, my I think my head exploded. And I was like, "This woman is the most amazing, brilliant, genius in her field." that I have ever met. And I have to say, for me, that's actually that's actually saying a tremendous amount because all I do all day long is talk with different doctors in various fields, different registered dietitians. I, I do nothing but consult with different doctors to educate me and inspire me and teach me. And so I think I'm pretty discerning. <laughs> I think I I think I, I'm pretty good at doing that job. And um, when I met Dr. Van Hurley, it was really the buck stops there. I was like, she is She is America's next doctor. She is the one that needs to be brought to the masses. This woman is an unbelievable wealth of knowledge. Uh, And the way that you convey your information is digestible, which is so important because it can get a little technical. So um, we're going to be answering all your questions about, well, as much as we can, about PCOS, thyroid, diabetes. But uh, Dr. V, can you tell me really quick about the All Greater Good Foundation, what it is, why you're so passionate about it?
1: Jillian, thank you so much, and thank you to all the questions and people that have um, a need for information, because that really leads into what all Greater Good Foundation is about. So when I started my training in, in endocrinology and, and followed my dad's footsteps in that at UCLA, um, what I knew and what I had a passion for is that we are each one person that tries to make a difference. So how do you make a difference? If you look at the resources in this country and worldwide, it's human resources that make the biggest difference. So what does that mean? That means you try and train yourself, get an education. I was grateful and happy to be able to go to UCLA, get a medical degree, go to public, public health uh, school at UCLA as well, and I put those two things together. That idea is that you take the best of clinical knowledge, of science information, and teach people. And why do you teach people? Because ultimately, it does take a village to get the answers and the best ways to solve diseases. And that's what All Greater Good Foundation is all about. It is about trying to put together how do we solve diseases through a foundation that is a not-for-profit foundation that helps us really look at What do we do to get the word out there so people actually know not only clinically what they need to know, but scientifically what is available, how can they get to the right knowledge, and also know they're not alone.
0: Dr. V, if somebody wanted more information about the Greater Good Foundation and how they could benefit from it or how they could be involved, where would they go?
1: They would go to our website, forgreatergood.org. Thank you. We're very lucky because we have a lot of people that do inquire.
0: Uh, I bet uh, just seeing the response with the questions so I hope you're ready to get started because there's a lot to dig through here.
1: yes I am. <laughs> uh,
0: I'm not kidding it was I mean I spent an hour just sifting through a quarter of the questions and it, uh, it was overwhelming to me um, and kind of quite sad because there is a lack of knowledge a lack of information and a lack of access to uh, people like yourself quite quite frankly um, so. Again, this is why I'm trying to bring you to the masses. So number one question, let's start with diabetes, and I think this one is pretty pretty generalized. People want to know the difference between type 1 and type 2, and, and then we'll take it from there.
1: Great question, really important starting point. So type 1 diabetes has to do with autoimmune disease. That means the body somehow stops recognizing itself as self. And what we do is we make proteins or antibodies. And in this case, with type 1 diabetes, and it usually happens in children or people under the age of 35 years old, they start killing off their pancreatic beta islet cells that make insulin. So what happens in type 1 diabetes, and it's tragic, Is that you have to be on insulin injections insulin is not a hormone that you can take orally there have been some inhalable and intranasal insulins they haven't been great but insulin is a very important hormone because what it does is it helps us keep our blood sugar in check Mm -hmm. and that's critical because the brain works on glucose on sugar so our brain wants an average range of blood sugar that is always within about 65 to say 95 and that's the normal range so type 1 diabetics need insulin because unfortunately their bodies are starting to kill their own pancreatic cells that make insulin
0: okay now there's no way to manage that naturally then period end of conversation
1: end of conversation and it's not curable no. So far, it is not. Now, again, part of some of the work that we're all looking at scientifically is, can we in the future look at stem cells? Okay. Can we look at other ways? There were some studies that were done in Japan and other places where you take liver cells and you teach them, if you will, through genetics to make insulin. So I believe, personally, One that in day. the future we will do this. But that's not what's happening right now in type 1 diabetes.
0: Okay. Now, this is where, see, now this is where it gets confusing because type 2 was called adult onset because, as you just said, type one is generally seen starting in childhood. But now children are getting type two. We bring type two on. We create it. What is the difference between the two? Is this fixable? And I have a question about that um, that I, I wanted to ask you. Uh, after you answer that question. Right.
1: So, no, <laughs> great. I got
0: another question. I got a whole bunch of questions for you here.
1: Woo, we love questions. I but bet. we don't we don't always have the answers because we have to think together. Okay. okay. Type 2 diabetes. This is the worldwide global epidemic of diabetes. Right. And what's so sad, Jillian, is this is becoming the diabetes of our children of our middle-aged of our old-aged i mean essentially almost of our dead it is the diabetes that in this country we think in the next 15 years half of all americans will have some version of type 2 diabetes oh so what is that what
0: is happening
1: oh my goodness what is happening we can spend a whole conversation just around this and rightfully so we should because if you think about where we are, back in the day, hunters and gatherers, we know that there are multiple genes, probably more than 50, maybe more than 100 genes in our DNA that actually told us that we should store fat, sugar, and basically keep our blood pressures high. That was because during fast and famine, we knew that you had to have berries, you had to hunt for your food, you were active, and basically you had to store up things for winter. Okay. Those are the genes that were selected for, the thrifty genes. But unfortunately, now we have a plethora, we have an abundance, we have so much food, we have so much access, you can run a Fortune 500 company from your (laughs) laptop. I mean, honestly, it happens every day. Right. So what we're not doing is we're not moving, we're not eating the right foods, we're having too much salt, too much carbohydrate. All those things make it so that we get what we call insulin resistance. That means, that the insulin again that our pancreas does make
0: so now we're making it we're type making two it. people are making the insulin so not that obviously very different than type one now they're making it and they're making it in huge amounts and that's
1: the difference with type one who can't make it because okay. their body shuts it down okay. they're making so much that they are making high levels for five to fifteen years their pancreas burns out and ultimately they become dependent on insulin And that's sad because if you have a 10-year-old kid and you get that at 10, by the time you're 25, you are looking at being on insulin injections because you burnt your pancreas out because it can't keep up anymore. And that's because of sedentary lifestyle, the wrong foods, obesity, and what we call insulin-resistant
0: syndrome. Okay. So, (laughs) wow. So, here's an interesting question. Um, And there were many like this, uh, but basically... She says, uh, of course, a question for Dr. Van Hurley. I was a type two diabetic for eight years, now 35 years of age over the past year and 40 pounds lost later in November of 2010. My doctor cleared me as no longer diabetic. This thrills me as I feel I have beat it. However, I was told by another doctor it is in quote impossible for me to beat. And she goes on to say they should know not to tell me I can't beat something, which I think is very cute. But it ultimately ends up here. If I continue on the path of being slash becoming and staying healthy and fit, have I beat diabetes for good? Do I have the risk of it coming back?
1: Really great question. And it's kind of one of these. I described the genetics of it. So this person that is asking this wonderful question is saying, do I have the genetics? Really, that's their question. And the answer is they have the genetics for it. So that doctor that said, well, be careful. You got to keep the wolf at the door because it could
0: come back. So the genetics essentially means if you put the wrong input into your body, then you have the propensity. You you could be a candidate for it. Now, I, somebody else who may not have the genetics could technically uh, engage in the same destructive behaviors, but not come down with it. That's correct. But that's But rare. they'll get cancer and heart disease, well, so
1: hey. There are other <laughs> unfortunate things that they can get, Jillian. They to can your pull point. up another chair to the party. And those will be different calls that we can have okay. and different <laughs> talks we can do. But here's the the beauty of it and the tragedy of it. First of all, the other physician that said you can get rid of it That's the physician that I think we need to listen to first and foremost. okay well both equally. Here is where we are. if you put this disease back in the box by losing weight, having a healthy lifestyle, exercising. Mm-hmm. By exercising your skeletal muscle, you actually optimize. You make insulin work better to get sugar inside your cells. And that's the reversal of diabetes.
0: So That's th- what I see on The Biggest Loser, for example, when they all come with type 2 diabetes and then theoretically it goes away. Right. So they're reversing it. But again, to the point of the
1: first doctor – he or she is correct as well and that is you have the genetics and I think it's an important heads up for all of us to just think about this if we all know we can fall off a cliff isn't it better to just watch where our boundaries are it really makes a lot of sense to be careful it's the better part of valor to do that
0: okay of course so then give me (laughs) if you can do this let's say the top five things you can do to prevent getting it we know there's exercise we know there's healthy body weight but are there foods that should never be touched? Here's
1: the way I look at it. Exercise, 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 exercise. Is that five, Jillian? <laughs> oh wow. It's okay. It is movement above all answers. Now I'm being coy about this, but when you move your body, as I said, you open up the cell doors and you allow sugar to go in. And what we see is if you look at the Tour de France, um, you know, riders on the bikes and all those, they carb load. And I bring this example up on purpose because I was going to
0: ask you, like, what if I'm eating Twinkies and Cheetos all day long, then I'm going to get it. Right. If you're a Tour de France rider or a long-term marathon runner, you
1: have to carb load. Now we don't, want you to have Twinkies per se or those things but you want carbs you want breads you want nuts you want all these kind of really good grains exactly lentils legumes but most of us are not. And unless you are, maybe in one of your boot camps, Jillian, because you're the best at this, <laughs> unless you are, and you know most of us are not, and that's fair enough as well, then what you have to look at is what you're getting to. And that is, how do you lower the amount of carbohydrate intake you have? Okay. How do you put that together with a protein? Because if you pair a protein right. with a carbohydrate, your pancreas doesn't want to make or need to make as much insulin. You
0: lower the, quote, glycemic load of the food.
1: That's exactly right. And what it means is... I was going to say,
0: now explain that. Exactly. <laughs> so what that
1: means is that a glycemic load and glycemic index, and this has been looked at in in many ways over the last years. And here's the most important part, I believe, about this whole idea.
0: So food combining, though, to clarify, is another big thing you can do, protein with your carbs. That's right. Sorry, go on. So you
1: take the glycemic index, and what it means is that you need carbohydrates, which are your starch. Marches. And again, all your even if you look at white starches, and we prefer people to have wheats and gluten-free starches and so forth. But if you take those in combination with a protein, whether it's edamame or non-fat yogurt, non-fat cottage cheese, non-fat string cheese, you put that in with a carbohydrate, and you eat in what the grazing model is every two to four hours, depending on how much energy you expend. Okay. Have really one or two medium-sized meals, not these big meals three times a day that we do. Right. That's a really important way that you can reverse type 2 diabetes. Wow.
0: Okay. Okay. And then last question on this, I promise, the quality of your carbohydrates, even when you're comparing them with protein, how influential is that? got it. It's got them out Really important.
1: And in fact, this is where fiber comes in because we've got carbs that have natural fibers built in and that's again your whole grains. You really want to look at those kind of carbohydrates. You don't want the purified white starchy pastas and white breads. You really do want to have your grains because those are your fibers and that does slow absorption. So it's
0: all about fiber. Absolutely. Okay, Okay, so now uh, I bring you to our next Really, uh, our topic that again was overflowing with questions, and you it's. Want to do a seventh inning stretch or anything? <laughs> <laughs> anything? Uh, I'm, Dr. V, this is
1: all you. I'm hitting you with it. Uh, I'm stretching my brain. I don't know about you uh, guys. Yeah,
0: so... Jan- Janice gets so scared these days with these nervous. topics. She, she does. Nervous. She just mm-hmm. sweats. She's like, oh my god, it's the <laughs> end of the world. Uh, she's smart. She's she, right. She's yeah. She's she's she gets. she's special. She's well, special she gets gets <laughs> uh, PCOS now. I personally have experienced this um, discovered it as a, as a young teenager. Uh, I had a cyst, an ovarian cyst burst thought I was going to friggin' die. They thought it was my appendix. Um, my mom came and picked me up because I was staying at my dad's. He took me to the hospital, uh, did an ultrasound, found quote, cul-de-sac fluid and boom, I was polycystic ovarian syndrome. They put me on birth control, but as a young kid, I just, something felt, I swear to, I know I never, I, I didn't used to talk about it, but it's, it's, Out there in the public now so there you have it Um, I didn't feel good about it as a young kid uh, and I I began to try to manage it with uh, diet with exercise I'll tell you this I don't really know if I'm still suffering from it or not because it's like unless a cyst bursts correct like I've managed the symptoms with my diet but so many people have this why what why is this so uh, pandemic? What's what's going on? Why are so many women suffering from this? What is this? So
1: great question. And polycystic ovarian syndrome or Stein-Leventhal syndrome, which it was described by two great physicians. What we know about it is that it has multiple aspects, which include having, as you described, Jillian, ovarian cysts, having Difficulty with having normal what we call ovulation, so that's fertility. Right. Having high androgens, or meaning high testosterone for a woman, which she wouldn't normally have. I this had is,
0: terrible acne. Terrible. I had to go on Accutane.
1: So acne, hair loss, or laser the hell out hair. of my
0: face, my Or
1: increase <laughs> hair in the face. Yeah. Exactly. All those things increase nipple hair. Increase. Oh, take it, it easy, doctor. Well, well, we. <laughs> oh my gosh. We go through the gamut as endocrinologist so we do know about this and also small breast size all this oh, no. together is, I, Janice and I are like this is, is that why part of polycystic ovarian syndrome PCOS why is it so important you're describing not only does it lead to potential infertility meaning you're not ovulating correctly but right. all the cosmetic things that go with the acne and the hair loss or hair, hair in the wrong places What we know, and you've asked a very astute question, why is it so rampant? What we know is that there is an element of insulin resistance in it.
0: So you're going back to the diabetes conversation?
1: We're going back to diabetes. So when you are sedentary and your pancreas has to work harder and make higher insulin, we think that there is an interaction probably at the level of the ovary, potentially at the adrenal, And what ends up happening is we drive. It's like fuel to this fire of PCOS, again, likely genetic. But if you gain weight and are sedentary, it is rampant. And what are we doing as a nation and a world? We're gaining weight and being sedentary. So you're seeing more and more young women stuck with PCOS who are now told get on a birth control pill. To ovulate normally, get on different medications to stop the androgen effect like spironolactone, aldactone, things like that to stop testosterone, if you will, effects. But also then they get on fertility agents to have babies and they are put on glucophage or metformin, which is an agent, which is a diabetic agent that actually helps our liver make less sugar. But the idea is it also is a mild and reasonably good insulin sensitizer so it does help also make insulin work better but now we're talking about young women that we can put on three different medications yeah that's sad isn't it with
0: side effects
1: all have potential side effects and again if you can move if you can lose weight you can improve this
0: and the important is that see that is that is the question that people want to know because i know for myself I did not want to be on the birth control pill, and I've read all kinds of scary stuff about it. All, Uh, you know. With that said, you know, looking at pregnancy um, uh, in vitro, it scares me with regard to hormone balance. It's always kind of scared me because I have struggled with my hypothyroid, which is my next conversation with you, uh, and PCOS. So, so many of these questions right now are asking repeatedly about. Medication. Can they get off of it? Is there a diet they can follow? Can they reverse it? Is pregnancy still possible? Is there a fertility diet? I mean, Uh,
1: you know, you're 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 what can they do? Exactly. So let's go back to the diabetes thing. But let's go back to a societal thing. We've got to move. We've got to eat healthy. We've got to combine healthy fiber-enriched carbohydrates with proteins. We wanna not have those huge meals. We don't wanna sit on our bums all day. We wanna get active. It's really important. Can you get pregnant? One of my PCOS patients that came to me when I was the chief of endocrinology at the Santa Monica UCLA Hospital came to me saying for the last six months, I, I haven't had a period for years, but the last six months I've gained the last 15, 20 pounds. We sent her after evaluation where we said, well, there's something, you know, going on in your lower abdomen. And I was quite concerned. Sent her to the gynecologist. She had a six-month-old baby fetus, oh! if you will. A fetus is the right <laughs> word. Growing. And she was pregnant. She said, I saw my husband once. I haven't had a period in years. You can get pregnant even, so be aware women, you can get pregnant even if you don't feel like everything is going well with your PCOS. It may be going better than you
0: think. It is possible. It is
1: possible. And most of our PCOS patients actually do well in their fertility. They can be helped along. And by the way, metformin actually is an agent that does help even during pregnancy to sustain pregnancy. Okay,
0: so you recommend that course of treatment. What,
1: what I would say is obviously given that you see the right uh, and we would usually send you to a high-risk obstetrician, just somebody that knows about these agents. They're very safe during pregnancy, but we've seen they help fertility and they do help during the pregnancy to maintain the pregnancy so okay. you don't have an early loss of pregnancy.
0: Because that is overwhelmingly common as well. Um, very much so. And it, I can't tell you how many how many friends I've watched kind of go through that. And it's, you know, personally, it's it's scary. It's very scary thing. So that that's okay. So you need to see a specialist, and there are medicines they can put you on to help you get through this.
1: Absolutely, and health and healthily. Most of our patients they actually can have babies.
0: Question: Why? Here's where it gets very confusing to me because you think of androgens, which are the the testosterone, the male hormones, as making you skinny, maintaining muscle, boosting sex drive. So it's kind of a conflicting message because when you have PCOS, your androgen levels are too high, but you can't, it makes it harder to lose weight. So why?
1: The thing about it is it's not just, let's say, testosterone that's high. So that's one thing that is really important in terms of building body mass, like you're saying, building muscle. Now, here's two pieces. It's not just high testosterone, even though you get body mass from that. It's also this high insulin. You it's have the this
0: combination of the two. And
1: that high insulin, insulin not only helps, as I explained, get sugar inside the cells so we do better, but it makes you hungry. It's a fat-storing hormone. Okay. Testosterone helps you build muscle. And for women, remember we're not men, and for women, when they build muscle beyond their normal expectation they start gaining weight and that confuses a lot of women because it's
0: can very confusing
1: because they're saying well wait a minute and if you actually look at their lean body mass a lot of them are active and they try and be active but they have such high androgens testosterone DHEA Mm -hmm. that they actually look overweight it's a little bit like some of the stories we see with our NFL football players where there's this high obesity rate, they say. But if you look at actually pound for pound muscle to fat, right. a lot of them just don't fit in our body mass index criteria because they're muscle mass. That's today. why I
0: don't like the BMI I because uh, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger in his, in his heyday would have been considered obese. And right. he was ripped, you yeah. know, several hundred pounds of ripped muscle, low, low body fat. So... Anyway, different conversation for a different day. But here's another question on PCOS. Um, And again, I saw many of these about water fluctuations. So she says, Dr. Van Hurley, I have PCOS with an organic diet. I have dealt with much of the side effect, but I struggle with water retention. Without something to counter it, I will have weight fluctuations from 5 to 20 pounds daily. I mean, that to me, I can't even imagine the 20 pounds I've tried a couple of water retention medication medications and I have not had much luck. Right now I'm using caffeine to keep it under control. Uh, is this acceptable? I don't know what I don't know what to do. Any suggestions?
1: So there are some really good question. There are some medications that can help us with some of the weight gain that can come from not only the te- high testosterone DHEA, the male hormones, but also from the insulin and th- those levels being high. You know, when we go to caffeine, we know it's a natural diuretic. Right. Probably our preference is going to be the green teas and English black teas, actually, because they have tannins, and we think that there are probably some benefits.
0: That's what I switched over to. And
1: anti-cancer. You, effect. Boy,
0: you got to drink a lot of it you to gotta, get the same
1: punch. I was going hey. <laughs> to say you got to drink a lot. Now, a five to twenty-pound daily weight gain is a lot. That's and, crazy. And right? that makes yeah, it's 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 a lot, but but obviously people report what's happening to them. Okay. So one of the things we have to remember is carbohydrates because think about them a little bit like absorbable sponges. So if you have a high carbohydrate diet and you're not moving because our muscles are our own natural squeegees if you will, they squeeze right. out the water and make us more, if you will, but that's on purpose. So the movement and high carbohydrate intake without taking in proteins is going to make you absorb and hang on to water. So that's something really important to remember. We'll see people that say, I haven't eaten the whole day. I haven't eaten. I've lost three pounds of water weight. They'll have like a whole wheat English muffin and they'll say, oh my God, I'm like the Michelin man. Well, right. You probably are because you've starved. <laughs> so, so, sorry to say, or Michelin woman. But the idea is you can't just take those carbs in without movement. So lower your carbohydrate intake, increase your proteins. Use some natural. What do you
0: think is a good ratio? Uh, rate, I know it varies. Rate, I know I, in my own personal experience, it has varied. But as a rule of thumb, because I think there's so much uh, conflicting information out there. It, it depends
1: on your activity level wholly because mm. if you
0: think about it, in
1: the day that you played on the streets as little kids until the streetlights came on, we used to say kids should have 60%, 70% carbohydrate intake. I remember
0: that old food pyramid. That,
1: because you were running around like crazy and yeah. kids were skinny little beans. That's not the case anymore. So how do we even then go to adults who none of us have that much time? Even you, Jillian, I know you're so busy with all your projects, <sighs> but how much time do we really have to move? If you are moving, you need carbs. I will Always say front load the protein. And the caveat on this is if you have problems with kidney or liver disease, you've got to be very careful. So, patients that are diabetic with kidney disease or already on dialysis, they have to watch their protein intake. But for all of us, for all my patients, I say have, you know, three, four chicken breasts without, you know, skinless chicken breasts. Have that for dinner and have a bowl of salad and a cupful of either rice, quinoa, you know, whole wheat rice. Right. Have something healthy, but carbs less, proteins the most, because they give you four to six hours of energy. They don't hold on to the water the way carbohydrates do, Interesting. and you don't go hungry. With carbs, you get about one to two, maybe three hours of energy. You're hungry usually. Most of us within an hour of eating carbs.
0: Only. Okay, uh, sodium.
1: This is a big you know, question.
0: I, I, I'm, di- I'm being I'm diverging here a little bit, but uh, I gotta ask you this. Everybody is making this sweeping movement to reduce sodium. And, uh, I mean, Walmart and General Mills. And I've always thought of sodium as, like, it's a transient mineral. If you don't have high blood pressure, you keep it in check. You know, I'm worried about bigger things. I'm worried about pesticides. I'm worried about MSG. I'm worried about trans fat. But suddenly it's like the hot topic again. Does this affect our, what's going on with this? Should we worry this much? Is Is it related to any of this? The water retention? The blah,
1: blah, blah, blah. Hugely related. So number one thing we've all looked at, obviously, was glucose and sugar. Okay, that's diabetes. Next thing people looked at was trans fatty acids. Next thing they went to is fiber. And what we call sodium is it's our new sugar. Why do we say that? It has nothing to do in terms of metabolism, as sugar does. But with a growing population of type 2 diabetics, including our children, what we know is that sodium intake really incrementally does add to water gain, which is some obesity, right. but to hypertension. So there was a very important study, and this is several decades ago, UK PDS, the United Kingdom Prospective Diabetes Study. And what that showed, and that was back in the day that we didn't have all the fancy diabetes medicines that we have now, but what it showed is literally pound for pound, if you took very careful care of diabetics, as best as you could do to lower their sugar you would almost do better if you just got their blood pressure down. Ugh. And that study what told us that exactly I, that ugh. even if your diabetic numbers were still high but you got your sugar your sodium down meaning your blood pressure down right. you did better. In fact, you did much better. So wow. it gave you more leeway to have your diabetes not as well controlled. Now, we want both controlled, blood pressure and blood sugar. Right. But that's why there's such a focus, in my opinion, on sodium. Because what we're seeing is we're not doing great at controlling blood sugar and obesity. My goodness, what what are the next things we can do? Well, cut back sodium and salt intake because you can actually get your blood pressure down and guess what that's saying? You can't be too thin, too rich, or have too low of a blood pressure. <laughs> now, I don't agree with the too... As an endocrinologist, I, I don't believe with a too thin, and as a foundation person, too rich. But I do believe you can't have too low of a blood pressure. I'm okay with the too rich.
0: I'm fine with it. <laughs> I- and truthfully... Uh- I would love to say too thin. I know I'll get ripped <laughs> apart. I know it's bad. Well, it's not good. Healthy body weight, but too rich. We can get behind that, can't we? Well, I I think as you know,
1: I think as a nation, we, we should be thin, you know, healthy, and we should we all should be wealthy. Balance. But but yeah, fine. I balance. understand. But but you've got to get your blood pressure down. I had a, a nurse that called me when I was in my clinic um, a couple years back and said, "Oh my gosh, come quickly! We put a patient in in a in a shock position because their pressure was ninety over sixty, so upper number." 90, lower number 60. And I said, Well, do they have symptoms? Are they dizzy? Do they have a fast heart rate? Do they feel nauseous? Are they blacking out? Do they have chest pain? Do they have shortness of breath? No. I said, Well, what's going on? (laughs) I said, This is an ideal blood pressure, but God bless this nurse because they were so used to seeing pressures of 140, top number, 80, lower number, and higher. That when they saw a normal pressure of ninety over
0: sixty, she thought the person was dying. She
1: thought the person was dying. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! That's a good blood pressure, as long as you tolerate it, right? But if right. you have symptoms, it's too low, right? We all of we all do. So dehi- if you
0: if you get up, to, if you feel like you're gonna yeah. faint, if you're listless, if you don't have energy, understood, so so then all right, can you give me a a dosage recommendation? I know. I, I just, well, I want to be able to say to people like, all right, so now we know this is scary. We got to watch the salt. What is the number? Yeah, so I, two grams uh,
1: sodium is the classic that so we 2,000 milligrams. 2,000 milligrams a day, but actually we try and go lower than that if we can. Um, that is 1,500. It, yes, 1,500 or less now. Again, the parameters that, that we all put forward in terms of the American Heart Association, I don't want to quote their numbers and I highly respect them, American Diabetes Association and such, but what we all know is probably our published parameters are too high.
0: Really? Yep. Wow. All right. Last question on this topic. Sorry, this is for me. I I, got to know. Um, Okay. If you are exercising a lot, let's say that you're an endurance athlete, you're training for a marathon, you're sweating constantly, then should your sodium be slightly higher or maintain same level? You mean your sodium intake? Yes. Yes. Slightly higher. Okay. And that's where some of the electrolyte drinks,
1: especially not coconut juice, which is the um, the mulching up of the actual meat the white fun, gotcha. yummy stuff of the coconut because that has a lot of calories but the coconut water, water has very similar contents to what we call our extracellular fluid and that has a higher sodium level so that's a really good one and then I go back to you know the simple things the Gatorade Pedialyte and yeah take in water and you can add the old bouillon soup the cup of soup that's fine okay. so I have some patients who really don't actually take in enough sodium
0: because like with my contestants i used because they were sweating six hours a day i would put them on three thousand but that was uh, you uh, you know that was from an rd who then would supplement potassium and what have you right
1: and generally you don't
0: have to do that even if you're sweating as long as you have a good healthy
1: diet, Mm, right? right. And you have a good fluid intake in general. Okay. But here's your marker. It's really easy. Your body has all the knowledge in it. It will tell you. You will feel dizzy when you stand up. You will get heady. You may have actually feeling like chest pain or numbness or things like that. If you get those symptoms, obviously consult your physician, nurse practitioner, but that tells you you likely need some more sodium.
0: Listen to your body. Listen to your body. All right. Now that... (sighs) Now this is going to lead into our hottest topic. Then now you have to take a little breather because oh, I Janice. know the P word's coming up. The P word. The T word. Oh God. T word. Yeah. That, oh the at the P word. I was like, Janice has to go to the bathroom again. <laughs> Janice, we're <laughs> in the, my we're in the middle of the show. Well, let's take a little. Okay, fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay, we're back. Janice had to slip in some personal questions. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> Personal is okay. <laughs> you better. I'm going to blame it on you. That's my job is to is to pass the buck. Uh all right, Dr. V. We've got to get into this um must cover this hypothyroid. Once again, uh it's running rampant. Um it's something that I personally experienced uh and it's something I've I've done my best to control with diet. Um, but people are on, first of all, they don't know what kind of medications to be on. They don't know if they should be supplementing with iodine. They don't know, how do they know if they've got it? Can they check for it at home? I mean, let's start with what is hypo, what is hyper, and what is Hashimoto's? And then can you give symptoms so people might be able to guess if they, or like identify that and know to go to a frigging doctor.
1: Right. So, so there is a spectrum of disease, of thyroid disease. Now, what's really important, Jillian, is that we understand we're talking about autoimmune diseases of the thyroid. That's critical because you're asking why is there so much more? I have a theory Autoimmune,
0: your body turns on itself.
1: Body turns on itself and we don't understand exactly why you have a genetics for this and it runs unfortunately or fortunately primarily through the women in families but plenty of men in the world have these diseases and if you look at the two big categories of hypo which is low thyroid hormone Mm -hmm. or hyper which is too much high thyroid hormone we call those one low we classically call that Hashimoto's disease that is
0: Hashimoto's disease that's, hypo
1: is Hashimoto's it results in low but there is some transition where at first and I'll describe how Hashimoto's can evolve okay that you can have a little bit high but it results ultimately in the burnout destruction of the thyroid that's what hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's diseases. Graves' disease, which a lot of people will go back to, Marty Feldman and those bug eyes and yeah. the bigger eye, because you can have Graves' ophthalmopathy or the bug eyes from it. Not everyone gets that, but Graves' disease was described by Dr. Graves, and that's high thyroid, okay. where you're running on speed. So so how does this work? Well, if you look at the thyroid, it's that the gland that looks like a little piece of bowtie pasta that sits you know, under, in men, our Adam's apple, right in our neck. Mm-hmm. And what we know is that our thyroid is important even as we're developing in you know in our mom's tummies as fetus right what we know is our metabolic parameters meaning how we burn energy how fast our heart beats how our kidneys excrete fluids everything about how fast our skin cells turn over has to do with our metabolism thyroid hormone sets that metabolic tone if you will okay so if you have low thyroid, it makes sense that you'll have dry skin because your skin cells won't turn over. You'll be tired. You might feel mental confusion or what we call brain fog. Yep. You might feel that you're either very hungry or not hungry at all. You're very
0: hungry. Right. Oh, because you're looking for energy. So annoying. Yeah. I mean, it's like I, I manage it, but even still it's like, God, you know, I've just eaten sometimes and it's very hungry. And cold and gaining weight. So freezing th- constantly. right? So Constantly you,
1: freezing. You're the one with five sweaters on, getting yes. a pound every other day. I'm cold right day. now.
0: <laughs> Janice is over there in a muscle shirt. I'm like this. I'm going to friggin' bring a parka next time. Right. Okay. I'm bringing so my we'll, frigging ski jacket to we'll, the studio.
1: We'll check your labs, Jillian. But, I, uh, <sighs> but I'm sure we can set that straight because we can, for 99% of the people, get it straight. Because what it means is the two thyroid hormones that the thyroid is responsible for making in all of us are T4- Thyroxin and T3, triiodothyronine.
0: Now, what's the four? What's the TSH? Yeah, okay. What's that? Because now, because see, this is yeah. where it gets super confusing, because there's like three hormones we're looking at, and three different areas the whole thing can break down and all these different medicines and then they talk about iodine and converting and I so st- what is tsh what is t4 right. what is t3
1: so let's start at the top so this is endocrinology 101 <laughs> right okay so you start you got to know
0: it oh you yeah. how can you get your doctor to talk, ask the right y- questions y- of your doctor cuz and here's another thing i got to say this i sor- sorry dr v see a proper endo It pisses me off when people see doctors that are not endocrinologists. They they form sweeping generalizations about what's going on with you and just slam you on some dose of Synthroid and leave you to your own devices. And people go haywire on it. They're all over the map. They're tired. It's not working. They're experiencing side effects. It's like going to an entertainment lawyer for family law. See an endocrinologist. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Okay, well,
1: I'm an endocrinologist, (laughs) and Jillian, I agree, I agree in subspecialty medicine, but why I agree with you is it actually really helps people, right? So if you start at the top, and that's what we were getting at, and that's what you've asked me to present, you have the brain, the pituitary, just behind the eyes is a little group, a little cluster of grapes, and those little grapes, each one, has an endocrine function in the pituitary, but let's focus on the thyroid. Okay. So TSH... Thyroid-stimulating hormone is made in the brain, in the pituitary. Okay. The way it works is that travels in the bloodstream as a hormone, because hormones are just signalers. That's all they do. They signal organs to do something. Got it. So it travels to the thyroid, and it signals that little piece of bowtie pasta in the neck to make T4 or T3. Okay. We make primarily... T four that's like your synthroid for a lot of patients that are on that's a, inactive that is an active agent but it is not the primary activity of thyroid hormone okay T three is made less directly from the thyroid okay but the good news is we have enzymes all throughout the body their fancy name five prime monodeidinase but you don't need to know that oh lord yeah uh, oh the, god <laughs> okay here's what we know. TSH from the brain right. goes to the thyroid. We release primarily T4, okay. a little bit of T3, Got it. everywhere second to second in the body, we convert T4 into the active T3. T3. That's like speed, okay? That's the one that again, tells your kidneys to make urine, tells your heart how fast to beat, tells gotcha. your body to get rid of fats. All of those three are hormones. One comes from the brain, the TSH. Gotcha. The other two come directly from the thyroid, and they're the ones that affect what we
0: do. So then how do you figure out which part of that little system is broken, and then how do you treat it?
1: Really important question. First of all, you have to test all three, and that's where, to your point... Subspecialty medicine, if you go to endocrinologists and very good internists and family medicine folks, they will check TSH, okay. T4, and T3, but you want to check all three.
0: Okay, so make sure your doctor checks all three. Sorry, go really ahead. Really important. See, I've seen so many people misdiagnosed, and it messes with them. And they need to know how to be proactive with their doctor. And I Janice. Think, I think it's on. a
1: really good point because there's been a lot of thought about just looking at the screening of what the brain does, just looking at the TSH. They're only looking
0: at TSH, I'm telling you. But Sorry. <laughs> we, well, Jillian. You, uh, you I'm sorry, know, but I've seen it. And people are like, my TSH level is this. And then I'm like, well, what did you ask? What, your T3 and your t 4s Oh, he didn't say anything about that.
1: Because we're not screening for it. There's a lot of reasons in healthcare situations and the cost, although they're not expensive tests, and people don't always know how to interpret them. Although it's pretty straightforward okay. and in medical school you're taught this. The other thing that we do for a one time is look at your antibodies. Again, we talked about it being an autoimmune yes. disease, so we look at the anti T G or anti-thyroglobulin antibody or the anti-TPO thyroperoxidase antibody. The only reason you can say, did you test my antibodies, is in patients who are saying, I feel like I have thyroid disease. I feel like something is changing. And let's say their doctor, good for them, does check TSH, T4, and T3 Mm -hmm. and says everything's normal. But they didn't look at the antibodies. And why is that important? Because if you look at the antibodies, it helps us as endocrinologists, again, predict. Are they going through this waxing and waning process of actually trying to if you will have a stuttering thyroid disease okay sometimes you have to intervene even if TSH T4 and T3 are normal Got but it. again that leaves it up to the endocrinologist or the good internist you know general practitioner
0: understood okay now can we say why do we think this is uh, rampant I mean I, I, I ask you this simply because I have strong feelings about uh, the, the xenoestrogens in our environment, the soy in our environment, uh, which brings me to also this question to you of what is goiter? What is goit- and then what are goitrogenic foods and what effect do they have on our thyroid? Because I want to know how we can approach this naturally. And then I want to know about medications because people are on Synthroid, Armor, iodine, blah, blah, blah. Right. I know, Janice. I know. Uh, these. Uh, so, so. Those are st- very loaded. Go <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. So, so. So, let's so what is with, goiter? What is goiter? What are, what are quote, goitrogenic foods? Um, what should we look out for?
1: Right. So goiter means one thing really only, and that is enlargement of the thyroid gland. And what we used to see is when patients moved, let's say, from the Middle East a lower iodine area to a higher iodine area like the US, or from South America, lower iodine to a higher iodine area like the US, they would start to grow a thyroid gland, a bigger thyroid gland. Okay. Okay, so they look like they've got this huge, again, instead of this little piece of bow tie pasta, they've got this huge sort of scarf around their neck, and that's a large thyroid. In and of itself, that needs to be looked at with an ultrasound to see if there are any nodules or lumps in there. got it. But if you put goiter aside, the idea of cruciferous vegetables, raw, um, uh, right? raw vegetables, okay. and what can cause goiter is a tough one because if, it, if you really think about it, it's going to be hard to prevent it or to, let's say, stop the growth of the thyroid except if you, unless you look at the idea of iodine. Okay. T4 and T3, the two thyroid hormones we talked about, it's called T4 because what T4 is is four iodine molecules. T3 is three iodine molecules. Okay. The thyroid gland cells in our neck have this unique ability to take up iodine. Like in this country, iodized salt, which is the majority of all the salt on the shelves and what we use. They can take up those iodine molecules, those cells in the thyroid, and they string them together and make a hormone. Four molecules plus other bits make T4 and three make T3. So
0: this is why some doctors have tried supplementing with iodine, but then subsequently people like yourself say it's one of the worst things you could play around with.
1: Well, what I say is this. If people take iodine or kelp, that's classically. They'll go to a naturopath or a homeopath. And and by the way, I I think that's terrific because I work with a lot of colleagues who are experts in those fields. But if you take kelp or increased iodine or you completely cut out iodine, you have to be careful because if you were born and raised here where we have iodine in our food contents.
0: In our salt in exactly. particular, of which everything's and people, loaded. yeah, And
1: people will say, I have to switch over. What can happen? Well, this is the slippery slope. High iodine intake can do one of two things. It can be fuel to the fire, and your little gland that's already autoimmune in tendency, if you will, if you're already having problems, can go crazy, and you can get hyperthyroid. Or it's like taking a little dump truck of iodine sand and just dumping it on the gland, and the gland goes quiet. So you can either stop your gland completely from trying to do what it's doing
0: or, or throw it into hyperdrive throw
1: it into hyperdrive
0: so your recommendation don't mess with it don't mess with it and
1: I say moderation now here's a really important piece patients that will say well I want to I'm, I'm heading towards Hashimoto's disease and burning out and having low thyroid I want to take extra iodine and kelp I'm not opposed to it but again we give recommendations depending on the patient there's no okay. one for one person And the one thing you have to be very aware of is CT scans. So when you get a CAT scan, so a body imaging scan, Mm -hmm. like some patients will have to go to get a CT scan of their liver or for some other thing that look at their, you know, they sprain their, their arm or their elbow and they have to get a CAT scan. When you give that intravenous IV contrast, that's an iodine load. And in patients, a huge iodine load. And so we have patients that have this genetics for thyroid disease. That have to go, let's say, because they were in a motor vehicle accident. I had
0: one on my shoulder a couple years ago. They get a
1: big iodine load, and their thyroid does one of two things. It either totally shuts down or it goes crazy, and they get very high thyroid levels. And then it becomes difficult to treat with some of the agents that we need, let's say, to shut it down. So, again... If you know through your antibodies or the three blood tests, the TSH, T4, T3, that you have this propensity as well as a genetic history in your family of thyroid disease, be careful with iodine. Don't avoid it. Don't take it in excess, but be careful with IV contrast and make sure that you're aware of it and your doctor's aware of it because it can... And you mention
0: it before the CAT scan.
1: Can tip you over.
0: Okay. Now let's look at uh, the traditional forms of medicine. There is... Uh, you can you can essentially supplement T4, i.e., synthroid. You can supplement T3, i.e., Armour. You can blend the two. Why are doctors not offering T3? Why not a combo? Well, How do you know what the right combo is? Because, again, like everybody's on just random doses of this stuff. They're all, all over the map here. Right. So this is the art of thyroidology.
1: I mean, this is why we say try and, if you can, see an endocrinologist or a really good um, internist that knows and is trained in this. So first of all, with thyroid hormone, we know you start low and go slow. That's a classic my father, who trained me at UCLA, has always said. You start with the lowest possible dose and usually of something like Synthroid, a T4, thyroxine. It can be levothyroid. It doesn't have to be any of the brand names per se, okay. but it has to be thyroxine T4. That's how we start with 90% of our people. Okay. But what we see in some folks is that they're not converting it over, even though they they can convert it, but they're not building their T3 to where you would expect. So
0: the T4 is not converting to T3. That's right. Now you know you've got a breakdown with the T3 conversion.
1: Likely, and meaning it's not a congenital genetic catastrophic break because you pick that up in childhood. But it's something that you see and we sometimes see this as people get older in age. So what does that mean? Again, the finessing. You look at their T3 levels. That's why you have to look at the number.
0: They got to go back how
1: long after they've been taking thyroxine? Generally, we wait at least four weeks to check. Got it. And then we look and see, do they need anything else in terms of adding t3 which again in in terms of a medication it would be like cytomel okay so we add a t4 and a t3 in those people and often and i see this generally in women and i don't understand and i've seen this anecdotally in my practice that it's generally women who are saying i have i'm on my synthroid or i'm on my thyroxine but i'm lagging and i, I have brain fog i can't get through my day generally it's that individual that woman especially, that will do better when you add a very small amount of T3. Okay. Then you follow that TSH to see, does the brain, the pituitary, like what we're supplementing back? Why is it so critical not to, as you say, just give a random amount of supplementation? Because thyroid hormone is a metabolic hormone. And guess what's really important in how we turn over bone density and how our osteoclasts and osteoblasts that build and break down bone every day They function under the guises of thyroid hormone. So if you don't have enough, or especially what's worrisome is if you take too much, which, again, people will throw or in the past historically have put patients on too much thyroid hormone. They're not checking DEXA scans, the bone density scans. And what you'll see two, three, four, five years later is severe osteopenia thinning or osteoporosis.
0: Oh, no. Because I had a bone scan. I think I told you this, for losing it. Remember, they threw me through that thing, and they said that the bone density in my hips was low. And that's why I got off of coffee, because I was like, I'm on too much caffeine. It's pulling calcium from, leaching calcium from my bones. I got to switch over to tea And, I, and caffeine can, absolutely. Could it be the supplementation? And, and of, unfortunately, it can
1: be. And that's why you have to make sure that your numbers, those three, are all balanced, that the brain, TSH, likes the T4 and T3 that you're taking.
0: Oh, my goodness. okay. So, uh, Doctor V, really quick, because uh, I know I, I know Janice is like you're way over time. You're way over uh, natural. I know it, there's a lot, and I'm going to give information out right now um, uh, where where they can follow up with uh, you know get in touch with Doctor Van Harley, go to her website, go see her if they want to go see her, uh, but. Natural options, anything we can do, natural behaviors off the top of your head to help prevent this. Because, like, for me, I really try to manage it with diet. I try to get my my vitamins and my minerals in there to help the process along naturally. I try to avoid the soys, the raw cruciferous vegetables, the peanuts, and anything that's, quote, goitrogenic. Uh, Thoughts? Yep.
1: The biggest thought, and I have it for almost all the diseases we've discussed, is this autoimmunity. Remember, we have one immune system in our bodies. It's our security system in the body. So if you start a fire on the 10th floor, meaning you've got a lowering of your thyroid hormone, you've got to be careful what's going on on all the other floors in the body. So what does that mean? You don't want your security system, because you only have that one group surveilling the whole body, you don't want it having to constantly... Put out fires. What does that mean? That means that we look at an overall healthy diet, good exercise, good sleep. Try and get to bed before 11 o'clock at night. Lower your other stressors. Be moderate in your iodine. Don't add in kelp. But don't not have iodine. People go to non-iodized salts. Don't do that. Yeah, the
0: sea salt thing. I've been telling people just just do it
1: just moderation
0: right just have
1: balance in your in your food supply and balance your mind it's a really important thing folks because what we see is that again this one immune system we have is doing its darndest it's doing its best it's trying to keep us healthy but remember it's got to surveil against infections from viruses from bacteria from protozoans it's trying to stop cancers it is working all day every day so if you're stressed and you're not exercising and you're not sleeping Guess what? It's going to the fifth floor, sixth floor, seventh floor. It's going up and down the elevators all day. It actually can't protect your thyroid.
0: Right. That's the idea. So, again, we go back to the same concept of eating good quality food, working out, getting your sleep, hydrating... All of that common sense stuff.
1: It's all common sense. And one thing that that I think we've talked about, Jillian, that's quite important. um, We see that people that have a healthy diet, and and likely if they have a tendency for autoimmunity, gluten-free seems to be. This is not celiac disease. That's a different disease. That's a very strict disease where they get morbidly ill if they take in gluten. But for most of us, it probably is. A protein if you will that we actually react to so for a lot of folks a gluten-free diet does help in fact almost all of us lose weight on it
0: really okay so you know something that's something that I haven't experimented with because I haven't had any reactions to gluten but it's something that I might try for myself and just see because uh, I've managed everything really well, because, you know, when I discovered these things, it was years ago. And then, of course, I've had people like you helping me along the way. But that's something that I personally am, am going to give a try. And, um, OK, Dr. V, this is a lot. And if you could have seen how many other things we could have talked about, <laughs> we can. Uh, which, you know, which this is why in the future, I, I would love to have you back to talk about all these different things. Uh, but where can people reach you in the interim?
1: The best way is so drvanherley.com dot com. So d r v a n h e r l e dot c o m. That's the best way because that that has our site with a lot of the, a lot of these issues and other issues, and we're really building it to be a public health uh, platform to help folks get to the right stuff. Right. That's what we're about.
0: I cannot thank you enough. As always, I uh, I, 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 I bow down to your tremendous wisdom <laughs> and knowledge. Um, now Janice and I, are, I volunteered you for this. We're gluten-free, girl. <laughs> 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 Paul, feel free to jump in too. You too can try the gluten-free thing.
1: Uh, yeah, Jillian, thank you so much. And as always, I bow down to you too, because you made a huge difference for so many people in the world. And we're going to keep trucking on because this is how we
0: do it together and we got a lot of work to do yes we do thank you so much for listening you know how to reach dr v dr van Hurley.com, d-r-v-a-n-h-e-r-l-e.com that's all for today peace
1: if you like listening to comedy try watching it on the internet the folks behind the sideshow network have launched a new youtube channel called wait for it It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Sleisinger. Sleisinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here, and it's funny. And I love you.